0: first thing I'd like to do is give a round of applause to the praise team. Amen. When you sit quite close to it right up here, you really hear it. It's it's just excellent, excellent. I think that uh, it would be a good idea to take that last series of three songs and do it every Sunday. Have you noticed that when you sing worship, and you sing to the Lord as you, how much more worshipful that is than when you sing to the Lord as he, but when you sing to the Lord as you are worthy, that's worship. That's worship. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our head and have a prayer. Father, we ask your Holy Spirit now to come and fill this auditorium, this sanctuary. Send away all forces of the enemy, all deceiving thoughts, all secondary thoughts, and let us focus on you during this time. Open our hearts to hear what your Holy Spirit would have to say to us. Let us be pliable as clay in your hands and change where we need to change and glorify you, Lord, where we need to glorify you. We pray in the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, for those of you that are visitors, I'm neither Jose, we have two Jose's, I'm neither Jose, I'm Jim, and I'm glad to be here, and I want to let you know that if you're a visitor, this is the place that you should be from now on. Don't even think about going somewhere else. This is the spot, okay? So if you had questions, don't have questions anymore. We want you here, we love you, the Lord is magnified in this place, you'll find God here. I have a kind of a strong title for the sermon this week. The Battle of the Holy Spirit with Our Flesh and Satan. So are you ready to leave? (laughs) Sounds like a tough one, doesn't it? It's very important, especially as we start this new year. You know, a couple of things happened at Christmas. They're big things. You know, when we hear the story of the shepherds in Luke 2, and we know this from our Christmas play, that in the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. What's the next sentence? And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. But the angel said unto them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angels brought good tidings of great joy. Could you use some good tidings of great joy? When Jesus entered the world, it was good tidings of great joy. When Jesus enters our life, it is good tidings of great joy. When Jesus enters our finances, it's good tidings of great joy. When Jesus enters our marriages, it's good tidings of great joy. Everywhere that Jesus comes, it's good tidings of great joy. And in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, it says, But when he had considered this, Joseph considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came, great tidings of great joy, and he came to save us from our sins, and we needed saving from our sins. So I just want to start and put something in context here. I talked a little bit about it in my Sunday school class this morning. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. In the very beginning was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a little hard for us to take hold of, because when I talk about the very beginning, in the Bible, that's before time. So before there was time, before there was space, before there was matter. Is this blowing your mind already? It should. We can't even think of before time. But God created time. God created the universe. And before time and space and matter, God who transcends time and space and matter said to the Son that we are going to create man in our own image. Now it says that Jesus made all things that have been made. If I was Jesus in the beginning, and I was about to create man knowing I was going to have to come to earth, suffer on the cross to redeem this creation from his sins... I would have second thoughts about creating man in the first place. Fortunately, it wasn't up to me. But it was up to Jesus who loved us so much in advance that he made us when we were going to be a thorn in his flesh. Now, this thorn, though, the Lord would take why? The Bible says he endured the suffering of the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy that was set before him? We are that joy. Jesus could see us united with the Father and the Son as we were meant to be from the time He thought about creating us. That is the joy that was set before Jesus, and He endured the suffering of the cross for that joy that was set before Him. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, For this is eternal life, to know the Father and the Son. And Jesus could look ahead and see that you and I were going to know the Father and the Son eternally. Now, Jesus also knew that this wasn't the only creation. He was going to do two creations. And it's very important to know that there are two creations because there's some problems with this first creation and God knew that and he said that this, there would be. In this first creation, you and I are only gonna be, oh, 80 to 100 years or so associated with this creation. And then we will enter an eternal creation. So if I was to make a line that kind of started from here and went all the way back to Frank in the back there, And I said, well, how long is the first creation compared to the second creation? Well, the first creation would be about the width of a hair. And the eternal second creation of God would go on forever. Now, from God's perspective, he can see eternity. He can see the eternal creation. And he said, in the first creation, we would be made so that we could be redeemed To be in his family, to be united with him. And that's our purpose. That's our long-term purpose. It says in the scripture, we are not of the Jerusalem which is below, but we are of the Jerusalem which is above, which is our home. This isn't our home. We are pilgrims here. We are pilgrims progressing. But our home is eternal with the Father. And the Father can see that. We don't see that very well. But the Father sees that. And so he sees there's this little short time that you're in the first creation. And then there's eternity with the Father. So in this time, we are to be redeemed. We are to be set free from our sins, to know Jesus, to be lights to this world. But this isn't our home. Our home is yet to come. Now, Jesus could see all that. Now, a lot of times we don't think about that. Sometimes people say, well, how could there be a God if there's pain and suffering? How could God allow pain and suffering? God allows pain and suffering for a short time. Only a short time. In eternity, there is no pain or suffering. It says in Revelation 20, there are no tears. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's no remorse. There's no grieving. There's no sadness. Eternally. So it's a short time Now many of you know my dad and he was a doctor around here for a long time. I had to go in one time to get a shot because I was sick. Now my mom knew when we went into that office that that nurse Miss Yarborough was going to give me a shot. She walked me right in there. They pulled down my pants and laid a shot right into my right rear end. I looked up at my mom like she had betrayed me in life. She had marched me in there, and this woman stabbed me with a needle. How could that possibly be anything but horrible? It was a real problem for me for about 10 minutes, then I forgot all about it. Do you see? All of our existence here is 10 minutes. God only permits pain and suffering for a time. And then he comes to us always during our pain or suffering. And notice that when Jesus came in the world, he suffered temptation and he suffered the troubles and the difficulties of this world exactly the way that we do. So the Bible says we have a high priest who is empathetic with us because he suffered just like we suffer. He walked just like we walked. He smashed his hand with a hammer just like we smash our hand with a hammer. He stubbed his toe on rocks just like we stubbed his toe, and his toenails bled just like our toenails bleed. He knows exactly what we are. He knows that we are made of flesh. He suffered. He understands suffering. And he made us mortal. I was sharing this morning, it's very good that he made us mortal because we have so much pride just being mortal if he had made us immortal, we would never pay attention to God because we're immortal. Our mortality is a tremendous blessing. And the scripture says in Romans that all creation is subjected to a degrading, that it is going downhill. And I was saying that seems to me that I hit about 30 and about 30 on I began to go downhill. Sometimes in our Sunday school class, it it reads like a, a medical report of all the people we're praying for, for different diseases and different things. But that's okay. We're only here for a short time, and my mom walked me into my dad's office and allowed me to get a shot for my certain good, and it didn't harm me long term. And when we get to heaven, I used to say this to my Sunday school class, we all need to meet in the northeast corner, if there is a northeast corner, and have a reunion. But I doubt we'll even remember earth because we will be overwhelmed with what God has prepared. And so when Jesus came, he endured and opened the door then so that we could be redeemed and come into the family of God and know God in fullness. And so the scripture says that when we see him, we will know even as we are known when we see the Father. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all with open face are beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. We are being changed into the same image by the Spirit of God. So as we behold Him, that beholding of the Lord changes us inside. It changes us into the image of Christ. Now Jesus was very particular about this we tend to compare ourselves one to another. I look at Tom Foster and I say, well, how am I doing related to Tom? But Jesus said, you must be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we cannot do that on our own strength, but we can do that through the strength of the Holy Spirit. So there's a battle in our life. We have the Holy Spirit who is guiding us, who is wooing us, who is nurturing us to be the bride of Christ, who is taking away every sin, every blemish, who is showing us God. That Holy Spirit lives within us, and he has two things that he fights. One is our flesh, and the other is the work of the enemy in our lives. And Paul made this really clear. He said, for our battle, he said we battle against principalities and powers. And we're in that battle. We're in that battle. So always confused me is, what does it mean, the flesh? What does that mean? Does that mean the Holy Spirit is against my hand? That's flesh right there. What does that mean? It means the fleshly nature. The fleshly nature. The fleshly nature is is the nature that says, look at me. I am important. I have done great things. That's the fleshly nature. Now, the Bible says, in the presence of God... No flesh shall glory in 1 Corinthians 1. In the presence of God, no flesh shall glory. Our natural tendency, though, is to glory. We would say, well, let's look at Mary Foster. You know something? Mary Foster has faithfully attended this church for 35 years and she has given, we calculated it up, over $195,000 to this church and we're going to open up an award called the Mary Foster Award so more people will be like her. But by the way, we want the money in one lump sum. <laughs> no, that's the kind of thing we do. We say, look at me, I'm pretty good. And we make ourselves pretty good because we compare ourselves with others rather than compare ourselves with Jesus. We compare ourselves with others rather than compare ourselves with Jesus. God sees us to being transformed to the full image of Jesus. Now, when I hear that, I go, well, that's an unrealistic thing that you're saying. How could I be just like Jesus? I understand that could be aspirational. But you can't really think that that can happen, not by my power, but by the power of God. Yes, it can happen. Yes, it can happen. He changes us so that we will be... So that Jesus, he said of himself, that he was the firstborn among many brethren. That we are not going to be separated from God, but be considered like the brothers and sisters of Christ, made into the same image. Now, this is cool, because Jesus, when he died... He came back and he came back. He had a really neat body, number one. You know, uh, we talked about this again in Sunday school today that when when Jesus came back, his spirit was resurrected, but he appeared to the disciples in a body that was indistinguishable from a human body. Thomas came up and touched the holes where the spikes had been driven in his hand. He touched where he had been pierced in his side. He touched and it felt just like a body. At the same time, Jesus was able to go through walls. The Bible says that they were assembled and everything was shut and then suddenly Jesus appeared in the midst of them. He ate with them fish on the Sea of Galilee. After he arose again from the grave, he could eat fish. So my complaint is how can fish go through walls? I don't know how this happens, but God can do that. We can have a body that is both spirit and can be in a fleshly form, the whole thing. God takes care of all that. But the most important thing is that Jesus was redeemed, conquered death, death no more had a victory, and there was eternal life that he opened the door that we could go in. But our fleshly nature tends to say, look at me, look at what I can do, look at what I've done. And when I was young, I did this. I would mount up works I would say, well, I'm going to do these things like Mary Foster does and make sure I have enough work. So when God looks at me, he can't say, you're a bad person because I can bring out my works list and say, oh, yeah, well, look at all these things that I did. But we cannot earn the approval of God through our works. Titus 3, 5, and 6 says, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is not by works of righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should should boast. So this concept of grace is kind of interesting. Now you've got to recognize there's the enemy over here who is trying to confuse the Christian life as much as he can. He takes a look at Hannah and goes, well, Hannah's going to be a Christian. I've lost that battle. Let's at least make her an unhappy Christian. She's going to be a Christian. I can't keep her out of heaven, but let's make her unhappy. I don't want her being a light. And if she's going to be a light in the world, only five watts. None of these hundred watt lights, okay? And that's seriously the way the enemy takes these things on. How much have I lost? What can I get out of Hannah? So he wants to confuse us, And one of the things that he does is that he comes in and he says, unless you know a lot of things and you've got your theology all straightened out and you've got your whole life put together and you don't have problems, you shouldn't talk about Jesus because you're not straightened out. Well, we're not talking about us. We're talking about Jesus. And Jesus is straightened out. Jesus is straightened out and he comes to our aid to help straighten us out and to help deliver us. And we're not talking about me. We're talking about him. And he's the one. And Jesus said this, what have I done that you find fault with? Name one miracle that I did that was wrong. Because it's Jesus that we're proclaiming. So in this thing, the enemy will come in and he'll say to Hannah and I'm out. I literally sat right below here in a sanctuary when I was young. I literally sat there and would listen to sermons and grade myself according to the sermon. And the pastor would preach on love. And then I'd go, well, okay, I'm decent at love. I love people who love me. That's pretty good. So I'd give myself a B minus. Now, I didn't love people who didn't love me. I just love people who love me. That was the extent of my love. So I'd give myself a B minus. But Dad gummit that preacher would go to Medlin and he would start talking about things like sins of omission. And I would keep getting an F minus when he would give a sermon like that. And I would walk out and the only thing I could do was hope that I could forget about that sermon because I was not going to make it if he started judging me on sins of omission or patience. Ooh, what a stinger. I couldn't rank there. And I felt terrible. I never told anybody about this, but I just knew I didn't make it. And if God came, I was going to have to get some sort of bonus curve to make it through. And it bothered me. But God doesn't work that way. He knows there is no good thing that dwells within us. He knows that the heart of man is desperately evil. And he knows we need to be redeemed and he redeems us. And that Holy Spirit will come and change us. In my life, one of the biggest things that happened, I was 16 years old. And the Holy Spirit was all over me, even though I didn't know what was going on then. And I hurt inside. I hurt where my heart was. I hurt It was like a pain and an emptiness, and it was a hurt. And I couldn't get rid of it. And I would try to listen to comedy. I used to listen to the Smothers Brothers, which was a comedy team way back in the day. And I would try to listen to things to get rid of it, but God was so loving, he made it hurt worse. He made it hurt worse. And what the enemy had done to me was to come in and say, well, if you give your whole self to the Lord... The Lord has control on your life and where you're going and what you're going to do and what your money is spent on. And he would tell me that over and over with this example. The strong Christians that you know, that you see in your life, are the missionaries. And if you give your whole life to Christ, he is going to send you to Borneo, where they have open latrines and giant mosquitoes. And that's what the enemy would tell me. And my feelings about open latrines are repugnant and giant mosquitoes, I hate giant mosquitoes. I hate mosquitoes in general. And he would tell me that for years, at least a couple of years. You can't fall into this thing of giving your whole life to God. God's going to send you to Borneo like he does those other missionaries. And that's going to be your life. And I said, well, I don't want open latrines. And so I'm not going to do that. But he made me hurt so much that I had to give him my life anyway. It was such a wonderful thing. And I may go to Borneo yet. I sure hope they've got the latrines fixed up. But I may go yet. I don't know. Because the Lord does have where we go. But the Holy Spirit is wooing us. The Holy Spirit is wooing us. If you read the story of Isaac and Rebecca, the Holy Spirit is Eleazar. He goes out and finds Rebecca for the son. And we are Rebecca. The Holy Spirit woos us to Jesus. And he works that in our lives. Now, the one thing that I think sometimes people get confused about, they say, is all I need is just a little more grace. If I could just get a little more grace to get through today and grace to get to tomorrow and grace to be something. Well, in one sense, that's right. But Jesus is so wonderful that the Bible says all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 1.3. All the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why we utter our amen to God, to his glory. All the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And that is true of grace. Grace is not a separate concept over here, and then Jesus is over here. That's not the way it is. Grace is in Jesus. We don't need grace by itself. We need more Jesus who has grace in him. I'm going to say that again. We don't need grace by itself, but we need Jesus who has grace in him. And where are the verses that say that? 2 Timothy 2.1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in... Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When you say you need grace, you need Jesus, because in Jesus is grace. All the promises of God are in Jesus. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1, 8, and 9. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The Lord himself, the person, contains grace. We do not go after theological concepts in order to obtain relief, and peace in our lives. The Bible says in Galatians 5, and 23 that it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we go after and say, boy, I really need peace. If God would just give me peace, Peace is in Christ. Peace is in the Holy Spirit. It's not separate where we go after these things and the enemy will run us around in circles. Well, you just haven't been a good enough Christian to understand how to apprehend peace when you need it. And that's why you have anxiety. No, that's not it at all. Jesus is our peace and Jesus actually said that. He said, the peace I give you is not the peace of this world but it's the peace that's in me. And in Jesus are all the promises of God. And peace is one of the promises of God. And this is what Jesus would do, would mess everybody up that was talking to him. He would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, I dispense direction. Not, I give out interesting things that can be written on pages. And not, I make life more interesting. No. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You say, well, how can that be? Well, get to know him. Get to know him because that's who he is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the Lord knows what he's doing, but Satan is trying to get us, once we become Christians, to get mixed up about religion rather than focusing and worshiping and adoring Christ Jesus. I went to a meeting that was a bunch of churches getting together, I hate to say it, but it was Methodist churches getting together at a conference and they were talking about everything that they were gonna do and I listened for an hour and 15 minutes and the name of Jesus was mentioned twice in an hour and 15 minutes, but the word community Was mentioned 25 times and a whole bunch of other words that were flavors of the month. But you see the entire kingdom of God is built on the King and the King is Jesus. And if we don't love him and worship him, everything else is a work of the flesh. Everything else is a work we do to say, see how important what I did was? Everything else. And it says in Corinthians that the works will be tested. And those things that are works of the flesh will burn like wood, hay, and stubble. But those things that are of God will burn like silver and gold and be purified. So the works of the flesh is complicated because it appeals to our flesh to say, I've got to do these things. I've got to do these six things to make God happy. I've got to do that. And it's something that at the end, if we did it, we would glory in it and say, the reason God gave me peace and comfort was because of these six things that I did. That's not the reason. He loves us unconditionally from the time we were in the womb. I always used to think when I was young, it's a neat thing that God made me because God didn't have to make me. He didn't have to make Eleanor. He could have skipped Eleanor. There's nobody banging on God's shoulder saying, we're short on Eleanors, you need to make an Eleanor. There was no, no, God can do whatever he wants. But God looked eternally and said, creation will be wrong without Eleanor. And I want Eleanor to be, and I want to love her, and I want her to know me in fullness. And as we are united together, we will make a creation unlike anything else in all of creation, will be the combination of Eleanor and God. A new creation unlike anything else, and all of the new creation would be lacking if Eleanor was not there. And he made Eleanor. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. God did not have to make me, but he chose to make me. He chose. And so when we study these things, when we look at these things, one huge thing to remember is just what Jesus said in John 15, five. And in John 15, five, Jesus said, he said, abide in me and I will abide in you. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said if we would abide in him, not abide in grace, not abide in works, not abide in any of this, those things will come because they're in Christ. They're in Christ and those things will come. And Christians will do good works, but they'll do good works because Jesus motivates and empowers the good works not because they do good works to impress Jesus to earn a good report card. But if we abide in him and he abides in us, he says, you will bear much fruit. Not an option. Not you'll have the potential to bear much fruit. No, if you abide in me and I will abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Not not a question. It will happen. And the other thing that will happen is if you don't abide in me, You can do nothing. Most Christians believe if I don't abide in Jesus, I'm less effective. That's not what he said. He said, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. Now, you may think you're doing a lot, but you're not. So abiding in Christ is the central thing. So just to finish, the move of the Holy Spirit of God is to unite us with the Father and the Son that we may know eternal life. And we can start that now. We don't have to wait till we die to unite us with the Father and the Son, that we may know eternal life. Our flesh will stand up and say, this is the way I want to do it, and I want to get credit for it at the end. That flesh has got to be put down and say, go away, I'm abiding in Christ. The enemy will try to confuse us about religion, about connoisseur, Anything else that he can to say, none of this can really work the way you're thinking. You're not as smart as you think and all of this. And the Holy Spirit is effective in going against the enemy, but he requires us to abide in Jesus so the Holy Spirit can move within us. The Holy Spirit won't move uninvited. It says in Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He does not break the door down. He knocks. And he says, he who opens the door, and I can tell you from personal experience, if you just open it a little bit, he'll come on in. He who opens the door, I will come in to him. And I will eat with him and he with me. And Jesus, that that chapter, Revelation 3, was written to a church, not to unbelievers. That was written to a church. They were doing church, but leaving Jesus out. And so he said, I'm open the door and come in. So the Holy Spirit knows what to do. He just needs for us to say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, take control of me. Do what needs to be done in my life. You have it all. Soup to nuts, A to Z, even my 401k. The whole thing, you have got it all. Let's have a prayer. In this prayer, I'd like for you to close your eyes. And I'm just going to have a time of confessing a little bit. And I'm going to pause after that time. And if it is something that applies to you, I just want you in your heart to say to the Lord, yes, Lord, me too. What he said, I pray that too. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I want to confess to you that I have been interested and I have been active on many things that are not you. And I ask for your forgiveness for that and that you would focus me, Lord, on you. Lord Jesus, I confess that there are things in my life that need to come under you as my king, but I have kept them away. I have not opened the door. Today, now, December 31st of 2023, I open the door to my entire life and give you my entire life. Have your way with all things in my life. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask, Father, that you make these things real to us, that we might be lights in this world that bring glory to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Now the altar is open for people that would like to come and pray. And we have people who do the altar ministry that will pray with you if you would like someone to pray with you. So we'll have a, a worship song now while people come to the altar.